Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that brings out the storyteller and our guests with the help of some of the songs that have become part of their lives and their life histories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Greg Longenhagen. Greg is a member of the original founding company of Florida Repertory Theater in downtown Fort Myers and is in his third decade with the organization now serving as its artistic director. An accomplished actor, director, producer, teacher, and coach, Greg's career spans over 30 years in professional theater, radio, television, and film. Greg has been involved with 64 productions at Florida Rep and has also performed at numerous theaters here in Florida and around the country. He served as the resident director for Pittsburgh's Shakespeare in Schools while working as an actor in New York City, and he later served as an assistant professor of theater at Florida Gulf Coast University. Greg earned a B.A. in speech communication at Westchester University and a Master of Fine Arts from the University of Pittsburgh and was certified with the Society of American Fight Directors at Carnegie Mellon University. He's a proud member of the Actors' Equity Association since 1993. Born and raised near Allentown, Pennsylvania, Greg's career took him all over the country, but in the 1990s, he settled down in southwest Florida, what he calls his ideal community. And it was here where he met and fell in love with his amazing wife and Sanibel Island native, the one and only Liz Abbott, who's an old friend of mine. The pair have two children, Liza, a student at Bishop Faroe High School, and Jack, who attends Sanibel Middle School. Hey there, Greg. Mike, how are you? Finally. I know, I know. So when was uh, the first time you learned who Gary Newman was? Oh my goodness, that's a really <laughs> awesome question. That's a great question. You know, I I had, um, before his big hit Cars came out, that was on the Pleasure Principle album, I want to say that was like 1979, I was already familiar with um, his first band, um, I, I believe it was his first band. Anyway, it was the band before Gary Newman, which was called Tubeway Army, and they were they were more of a punk band. They 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 weren't a synth band. They were they played was guitars. I mean, Gary Newman plays guitar as well, and he was uh, the singer and the writer. Um, so I I was very well acquainted with who he was before his big uh, Saturday Night uh, Live episode. That's when we all got a you know before YouTube and the internet. You know that's how we we got tuned in to different artists, right? We had to stay up late and watch. Were you like what do yeah. you what is this synth music you're playing, punk man? <laughs> you know I was I have to say I I loved it. I I did. I was in I was into it, but because by that time. I was already listening to other bands that were, you know, had right. a lot of synthesizers in them and, and stuff like that. Okay. Well, we'll get back to Gary Newman okay, later. Sure, sure. It'll make more sense then. Yeah, but for right. now, uh, so where'd you grow up and, you know, how would you describe like the musical scene or background of your family and your childhood? Oh, that's an excellent, that's a great question. So I, I was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I grew up just outside of Allentown in uh, Caddy. It's a neighborhood cat, well, town called Caddy or Catasauqua is the actual name, but we all called it Caddy. Everybody there says Caddy. And um, it, I, I had a great childhood. You know, I loved I loved where I lived. Um, it was a neighborhood that was just flowing with kids. I mean, it was one of those neighborhoods where you you know as soon as you pulled out onto the street, there were you know droves of people to play with, kids to play with. We were always you know active and playing pick up football games or invented games, soccer, all, all kinds of stuff. Summers were always spent outside. Um, doing something active and I was involved in sports a lot too all my I'm, I'm one of seven 
kids. I'm the I'm the sixth of seven, and three older brothers and and two older sisters, and uh, and one baby sister. And uh, you know, we all were very active in in different sports and things like that. Um, so I had a really, I, I mean, I, I look back on it, um, my childhood itself and I, I really feel really blessed. Um, you know, my, my good friend, uh, Bob Cassiopo once said to me, and I, and I love this phrase. He said, Greg, he said, you and I, he said, we, we won the greatest lottery of all. We won the parent lottery. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, I feel till this day, so, so blessed to have such a, you know, I've had such great parents growing up who, you know, um, encouraged us to, you know, follow in whatever paths we were going in, as long as it wasn't self-destructive right. or, you know, or doing or anything theater. or no. naughty, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's like even that, you know, it was never, um, and we could talk more about that. But I mean, I, I was never really, you know, and when I was in high school, I did plays and things like that. But it wasn't like I was really engrossed in the theater department. I had a wonderful teacher there at, at my high school who, uh, Bob Farringer, Ferbs uh, is what, what he went by. And um, he he would just say, hey, I have a part for you in a play if you want to do it. And I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. So you um, were a jockey kid, kid kind of doing theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the time I got to high school, I was really into music. So I, I had already had a band like oh. by the time I was 13, well, 14 uh, What kind of old. parents were your parents? What kind of music were your parents playing? That's like, what wonderful. Was, yeah, so, what, what was that? What was happening with that? So my my most of the music that I grew up with in my house was um, with my my older my oldest brother Rick because he was the one who you know he had a job so he could afford a stereo. <laughs> so you know, and he also worked for a, a department store that so he worked in a hi fi store you know a section of a department store so he would come home with like the latest really smack daddy great you know. Uh, speaker systems and all that stuff, and um, and you know that's back when vinyl was big and everybody bought you know you didn't have it before digital, and um, um, so so most of my music influence was that. Now I will say this: my father was a musician. He was a professional uh, saxophone player. Hmm. Um, he you know got married very young, so he kind of he left that. He started a family very quickly uh, in his life. He was on his own at 18. He'd already been, uh, both of his parents had already passed by then. Sadly, he was, you know, a young man on his own. And, um, you know, he met my mother in Philadelphia. My mom's from Philly and he was working in an office there. My mother's working in the office. And so he transferred from, um, you know, being a musician, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, working in the uh, loans industry uh, and working in an office in Philadelphia, but he he grew up on swing. I mean, he was a um, he was a uh, an amazing uh, uh, musician. He played the drums. He could play piano. Uh, he was learned on the clarinet and on the saxophone. And he actually uh, played on the Paul Whiteman show. If people out there remember Paul Whiteman, mm. um, that takes back. <coughs> I've got a creeping tickle in my in my lung that's not going to go away. <coughs> Mike, I get it. Okay, I, I, so start. Say, so, say, so, so he he played on the Paul Whiteman show. So start there. Sure. So my father, um, who who was a professional musician, and I think that's where you know most of us get the, uh, our musical talent in the family. Those that have the musical bug, if you will, um, it was from my dad. I mean, he could he he could play the drums. He played piano by ear, um, but he was learned on the on the saxophone and the clarinet, and he played professionally, uh, and even played on the the Paul Whiteman show. Uh, which was a, a very popular show. Paul Whiteman Orchestra was a very popular orchestra at the time. Um, uh, but he, you know, he he left music like a, a lot of folks when when uh, when he needed to uh, make money. Uh, he was on his own at uh, at eighteen. He was on his own. His parents had passed, 
And uh, he made his way out into the world and, um, you know, went into an office in Philadelphia. And that's where he met my mother. And like a lot of folks from that generation, uh, they married very young. And, you know, my oldest sister, Diane, was born uh, fairly soon after they you know, we're married, and uh, you know he had to he had to kind of leave the the musician uh, uh, dream behind um, because uh, he had a family to support. So, uh, and then continued because you know Diane was the first, and then then my my brother Rick was born, then my sister Lynn, then my brother Mark. And then my brother Glenn. How do you remember them all? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because by the time I got around, and God bless my father, you know, God rest his soul, he would actually get through all of my brother's names and the dog's name before he would get to me. He would be Greg, Glenn, Mark, Greg, 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 because he he had so many in the household. You know, I think back on that too, and it's just my gosh, I think of the responsibility that he had on his plate as such a young. Young man, uh, and how he how he did that, and what a well, how he was able to just provide, you know, for all of us, and did that, you know, with without ever dropping the ball. I mean, he was a stalwart, um, you know, um, just gave such structure to the family. You know, we always felt safe because my dad was just uh, he was a worker bee. You know, he got things done, but his music was really the the era of swing music and and uh we heard some of that in the house absolutely uh listen to that a lot of it was my dad playing on our little organ uh that we had in the house little tiny electric organ uh, that we were constantly having to fix the leg to. I remember it was always, you Did know. Did you play any? Oh, I would get on it. Yeah, we would all play on it. I mean, all the kids, it wasn't, you know, the house was great. It wasn't, there was nothing that was really off limits. We did have an end room in the house. It was a small house. I mean, it was a three three bedroom house for all nine of us. Wow. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, but downstairs was, uh, the front room was like the nice room where my mother had like nice furniture and we tried to respect that. So if there was ever company over, we would do that. Then the middle room, you know, which was probably not much bigger than this studio we're sitting in right now was um that's where we had the television and uh you know we'd all crowd around yeah, it i was gonna say crowd you must be on top of each other oh yeah yeah no we were you know we we definitely were but i had no regrets growing up that way i mean i you know my brothers and i you know we had triple bunks and uh i was in a crib way too long because i was in that same room it's probably why i'm so short <laughs> stunted my growth maybe but um no it was um it, my childhood was great but the mu- the music that i really remember um as a you know as a kid when i was really listening to stuff was a lot of progressive rock i mean my brother was into a lot of like yes and genesis and Oh, I can think of Bebop Deluxe was a band I remember as a kid that I really loved out of England. Um, and a lot of stuff that was not on the radio, too. Like my brother was my oldest brother. He would su- suss out some really cool stuff. And I listened to a lot of the, you know, the top 40 stuff that was coming out, like, you know, Sticks and Kansas and, you know, the Rush. I mean, my other brother, Glenn, we were big into Rush, you know, uh, as a band. Um, now, there's a band I got disappointed in when they started to add keyboards <laughs> because oh, I yeah. thought, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I loved when Getty Lee, their bass player, would p- play you know, bass pedals, um, when he played the key, played the synth and he hit the bass pedals with his feet in concert. That was one of the first concerts I ever saw. Uh, I think I was in sixth grade at the Allentown fairgrounds. Um, but you know, it was a lot of progressive rock and, and stuff that was not necessarily top 40, but I really did love, you know, Queen loved a lot of stuff that Queen did. 
um, when the new wave sort of era hit and a lot of funky stuff came out, like bands like, I don't know, Sparks, you know, and the, ah, the Buggles. I just recently learned about Sparks. Sparks, oh, they were great. I saw the documentary and the whole time Fantastic. I was like, is this real? Is this a mockumentary? Uh-huh. How did I not know all this? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I well, kept Googling, like, yeah. is this real? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Mayall brothers, right? Yeah. The Mayall, Mayall brothers. Well, they, they were um, – you know, they, they were, I mean, ahead of their time in terms of what they were doing. It was, you know, it was just great, great stuff. But, you know, the other thing, I mean, you know, I don't want to take out that, it, you know, I mean, I grew up with the Beatles. I mean, listen to a lot of the Beatles, um, Badfinger, you know, stuff from that era. Um, just anything that kind of had really great hooks, like that kind of stuff I was drawn to. And I listened to a lot of, you know, I listened to the radio a lot, too. So... It men- runs the gamut. Yeah. You mentioned a band. So, what was your first instrument? Was it guitar? Guitar. Yeah. yeah. Is that your only instrument? Yeah. I mean, I picked up the saxophone and tried to play. I mean, I did. I kind of got not pretty good at it, you know, for somebody who's self-taught, you know, because we had a saxophone at the house. My it was my father's saxophone, right, right. and um, you know, later on in high school. Um, we started a band, my brother and I, and and some of the guys that we were with in the previous band, and um, Ar- Arctic Pilot was the name of our band. Arctic Pilot. Yes, that was the name of Sounds our like band. Sounds like a video game. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> you know, I think about the band Arctic Monkeys today. If if you're familiar with them, I think they're out of I think they're out of Sheffield or Eng- somewhere in England. I feel like Sheffield because their accents are very different than you know, like a Londoner accent. But um, yeah, it. it it was uh, it was it was fun. I mean, I got into the guitar because there were always guitars around. My my oldest brother had guitars. He played. Uh, my brother Glenn, who is the next oldest in line uh, next to me, he's a few years older than me, four or five years older than I am. He um, he is a he is a professional musician. I mean, he has a day job, but he he has a band, a cover band that he plays in Allentown and up in that area, the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. And uh, and then a trio, so he isn't basically in two bands, but he 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 definitely inherited the the same level, I would say, of talent as my father, because he can he can play anything. And he was the guy, you know, he was the guy in the family who he would turn on the radio and plug in his electric guitar and then just play every song as it came on the radio. I mean, mm. we, we kids in the neighborhood, people would just come around sitting. He was that kid in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And he started on the drums. I mean, he started on the mm. drums, and that was his first instrument. Uh, my first instrument was the guitar because they were always around. Acoustic and, or electric? Well, it was an acoustic guitar because that's what was there. You know, that's what was laying around the house. And, and um, uh, it, you know, it was also the guitar that you wanted to start on to strengthen your fingers. Sure. You know, and uh, yeah, I think the first two songs, I think the first song I learned was Eric Clapton's Cocaine because it was only three chords. Right. You could play that pretty easily. And um, and I had my, you know, my brother Glenn there to show me how to play songs, you know. So, and on that acoustic guitar, I can still see it now as brown, you know, soundboard on the top. It had a black pick guard with like some faded seagulls on it that were <laughs> like kind of tooled on, not tooled on, but painted on it. And, um, and it was a, you know, not an expensive, I don't even know if it, I couldn't even tell you the brand of the guitar, right. but, um, yeah, that's what I started on. It was an acoustic guitar. Mm. Well, we'll get further into that later too, but let's do your first song first. Okay, great. Um, do I get to pick it? Uh, well, I have them l- laid out on the script in the order you sent them, but you can do them in whichever order you prefer. Let's do, um, let's do Mr. Bojangles. You got it. What's the story or do you want to listen? Let's listen. All right. This is song number one. 
Greg Longenhagen, Mr. Bojangles by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band from their 1970 album Uncle Charlie and His Dog Teddy. This is Biography Through Music. Mr. Bojangles Dance I can't believe how emotional I feel just listening to that song. It doesn't, I wasn't, it wasn't a sad time in my life or anything like that, but I, I think, honestly, Mike, I think I, I don't, I haven't sat and listened to a song just to listen to a song in so long because of my schedule, you know, we all get so gosh darn busy, but, um, wow, I have no idea that that would make me emotional. Um, so that song takes me back, um, to a very specific moment, not, nothing that is like, um, you know, uh, it, it's not a situation where it's, uh, uh, something big happened. But I remember plainly, um, I think I was probably around four years old because that was released in 70. And I remember being in my sister's room right at the edge of the doorway. Um, I say doorway because we didn't have any doors. <laughs> my father eventually put up these, you know, collide, uh, you know, collapsing doors that were like vinyl that we'd have, you know, with magnets and stuff like that. So the girls had some privacy. But it was on my sister. I remember looking down, and it was um, um, uh, Ziggy Stardust was on the turntable. My sister had like a a, st- a small, small stereo where you know it was the turntable. Everything was contained within one, but the radio was on. And I remember that song coming on. That's like, I don't know if it's the first time I remember hearing it, but I was so drawn, first of all, to the melody of it. Um, I think I've always been, I don't know if it's the Irish in me or what, but I, you know, stories that are sort of have a melancholy tint and maybe that's, you know, comes from my culture or where I, you know, how, you know, my bloodline, whatever. Um, But I just remember being very drawn to the melody of it, but then also the story because I felt so connected with this person who had this life uh, and what this Mr. Bojangles, what he did with his life and, you know, uh, traveling around and, you know, the images are were so strong for me as a little kid to listen to it. I had such strong images of who this person was and his dog and the places he'd been and... um and and my 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 siblings knew that I loved the song because you know you can tell with the I I must have danced around mm-hmm. to it before I was even conscious of being doing that. <laughs> if you remember this moment all these years, you must have been affected by it in a way that they could see. I, I think so because because yeah. they they would say you know that because when it would be on, um, and if I wasn't in the room, they would say oh, here's Greg's song, you know, and they would they would you know call me into the room wherever so I could listen to it. Um, and I remember that, I remember that happening, but I must've been, you know, I'm, it must, and I, you know, and it had to be that because, you know, I've got a lot of nieces and nephews that I grew up with and I witnessed it in them, you know, when a song would come on and it's like, oh, you could tell they, you know, that was something that struck them, that they were moved. I mean, music, as we know, is, I mean, people have said it long before I'm saying it now, but it's, it really is like the purest form of art or communication because it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can listen to, there's no interpretation. It just immediately hits your soul. You know, uh, other art forms and, you know, being in the theater, I love, you know, the form that I engage with, which sometimes is music and a combination of music and, you know, dialogue and acting and things like that. But um, there's no doubt I've always felt that way. And um, 
Yeah, it, it was so. Uh, it's I can still see like the sunlight pooling through the room. I mean, I can see like the little bit of the dust in the air from the sun. I can see the orange curtains that were so 1970s that you could you wouldn't have them today unless you were, you know, trying to do some retrospective uh, home decorating. And that that turntable that you know with the dust cover over top of it that tinted you know and the seeing the David Bowie album on there, but then hearing that on the radio station, which was probably. Z95 was probably the radio station. Of course, back then, a lot of the AM stations played a lot of this music too. And then when FM came in, that's what we were listening to FM stations. But um, And that was sort of the rock pop station. But it, it, it's a song that still today, I mean, obviously I was affected by it. I'm just like, oh my gosh. There's another song in the, in the, in the trio that I thought, that's the song that's going to make me emotional because that's mm-hmm. connected to so much. Is that why you're wearing sunglasses? You know what? I had no idea. I didn't mean I wasn't By even the way, wear. Listeners, Greg is wearing dark sunglasses. He's our first guest who I can't look in the eyes. I oh yeah, they're mirrored lenses, aren't they? I see myself. You no, know, I will say this. This is the this is the. I was never even planning to put these on until you guys said you can put the sunglasses on. I said yeah, why not? You know, um, but I'm glad I did because I don't want you, Mike, to see my big red eyes right now because I I I that just hit me in a way that I, I didn't know that was going to happen like that. Um, yeah, but that that's a, I, I think for the reasons I described, that's why it's been, why I, I love the song or why I enjoyed the song and it stayed with me and it's, you know, it tells a story and I love, you know, that sort of, um, you know, that progression of the story that it's moving from one place to another and you can follow it like, like any folk song of any yeah. kind. Um, I feel that way about it, but um and the melody, but you know, when when asked to come, you know, to to kind of go through this process before coming in to chat with you, that's a, I have a very vivid, like many of us, I think, do. You have very vivid memories of specific instances in your life where something happened, and I remember that like it was yesterday, where I was, the angle I was looking, you know, I, you know what I mean. I mm-hmm. could just, I could totally see the whole scene. I know where my mother was at the moment. You know, doing what she was always doing, which was laundry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> God love her. But uh, yeah, it 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 just um, yeah, it's a, one of my favorite songs. I'm glad you played it. Did you ever uh, try to pick it up on the guitar? You know, I have, I I have, I haven't played that in a long time. I've never, I I don't know if I've ever figured out to complete chords on it. Um, but it's a step, it's a walk down. I think it's in C. I think it's all like C, G, uh, you know, in that key of G probably. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a compli- particularly complicated song. I think there's a minor chord in there too. Maybe an A minor if I'm thinking about it. I mean, I could probably pluck it out, but I, I, I have, I we did do it years ago. We happen to have a, no, we don't. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, I could probably do it. I mean, I, I remember years ago, you know, sitting down and kind of going through it, but a lot of times, like I, I know bits and pieces of a lot of, well, I know a lot of songs too to play on guitar, but I, but I, I probably know more bits and pieces of songs from that era, you know, like, you know, you know, the beginning of, of, of Stairway to Heaven or the right. beginning of, you know what I mean? And then yeah. just never, you know, stayed with a four minute song to try and figure out what, how, you know, cause Jimmy Page was an amazing guitar player. <laughs> it would have taken me a long time to figure out the rest of it, I'm sure. So I looked at your bio and it doesn't really specifically say theater and yeah. what you did in college, uh-huh. but you've gone on to a life in theater yeah. for the most part. Mm-hmm. How did that, what did you do in college? And was it, did you go to college for theater or did you like tie that all together? I, I, that's a, you know, I hear, I went to college 
because I was re- I was involved in a punk band in high school, and then by the time I graduated, you know, and I knew I wanted to continue uh, um, with schooling, you know, and uh, I picked a school, Westchester University, which was um, not too far from us, about an hour and twenty minutes from where I grew up, and it was close to Philadelphia too. You could get into the city really quickly, and I have a lot of relatives in the city, and um, but I wanted to go to Westchester because it was a music school. It was noted for its music performance and music education. It was one of the better ones around. And music performance was your perspective at that point. I thought I was going to get there, meet a bunch of musicians, and then get a band together. And then and be the next big thing. And head out. <laughs> That's where I was going. I was going to head out and hit the road with a band. So college was just a means to a band. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never told my my parents I was that. Ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. I mean, I I also saw because I saw the benefits of of you know having a degree in terms of getting a job and all that stuff. So I don't want to say I was like that cavalier about it, but I but I absolutely thought I you know would you because at the time, so I don't know if you remember a band called the Dead Milkmen. Yeah, they're from Philly. Yeah, Bitchin Camaro. All and, my uh, cool kid friends listen to them <laughs> there you go <laughs> all the sort of suspect cool kids right. <laughs> right well those guys two of those guys i had seen them play uh at a, a at a place in bethlehem uh, pennsylvania you can tell them from that area because i don't say bethlehem i was gonna guess yeah that. yeah you know nobody up there says bethlehem you say bethlehem uh, you know and it's not uh lancaster it's just lancaster you know we, we shorten a lot of stuff but anyway i i had seen them play uh the dead milkmen and uh you know i'm not saying like that was like my style of punk but it was fun it was a great i'll never forget the gig they played at a place called saint bernard's in bethlehem over in the south side of bethlehem and they had a bunch of band they were the headliners of course because they i think at that time they already had a video on mtv but um I'll never forget that gig because it was, uh, you know, a lot of slam dancing going on, a lot of teenage angst and people getting in there and tying it, you know, getting in it in, in the pit. You know, that was before moshing. We didn't call it moshing. We called it slam dancing. And Tara's uh, in the booth like this. Yeah, right on, Tara. Right <laughs> well, on. Slam dancing is a very specific thing. I mean, especially how you thrash your arms about. Yeah. And some people pick people up and, yeah. you know, their legs go flying into the crowd. It's it's very different it's very, sort of it, it is. It is a different vibe. And I look back on it now. It's like, man, what was I thinking? I could have been killed. Uh, but uh, but it was, you know, when you're a kid and you're a teenager at that age and we were young teenagers, um, just turn, just teenagers, I think, you know, it was an all ages gig. But I love the fact that on the way out uh, of the gig, they had a table. And they had um, little sample samples of the little sample bottles of Tylenol. So everybody could take a Tylenol <laughs> on their way out because they knew people were banged up. And I thought that was cool. And I imagine that was the dead milkman. But that's one of the reasons, you know, when I was thinking about going to school, you know, I thought that that was going to be the case. Plus, it was close to Philly. And Philly had a pretty cool music scene at the time. Um, that's right after, like, you know, the Hooters were around then. Uh, big band out of Philly. The A's out of Northeast Philly. They, they wrote some big hits. Um, and, 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 uh, Robert Hazard and the heroes, you know, that, that was, I mean, these are, you know, Cindy Lauper, you know, her first bands were, you know, that was the Hooters, you know, you've heard of Cindy Lauper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, it was a big Philly had a big music scene, uh, back then and, uh, or I thought they did. And, um, yeah, that was my whole plan. Cause I'd already been, you know, I'd already been playing the guitar for, you know, since 13, 14 and I never had a lesson. I wasn't like studied on the guitar, but, um, but my hope was to, you know, continue with that through through college. And then you talked about the theater. How did I get hooked up there? Well, um, really, I didn't do any theater my sophomore, or excuse me, my freshman year in college. And then in my 
um, but I did theater in high school and, and, um, it was kind of fun and it was great. And there were, you know, it was a, you know, also a place that, you know, social, you know, it was a social time. I mean, there were a lot of girls there too, you know, in high school and theater, you know, and probably a majority girls. It was a majority yeah. girls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the cute ones were in the theater too. Yeah. So, 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 um, so in college, you know, I, I was not a theater major. I was a speech communication major. Um, but it was in the same uh, department. Theater was part of that speech communication in theater. So I could take, cl- you know, classes across the curriculums and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and they would still count, you know, toward your degree. So I took every, you know, acting class that I could take and, and whatnot. But in my sophomore year, they, they, there was a play that they were doing in the fall. And it was, uh, let me get the, the I, should, I should know to say this correctly, but I'm going to try, I, I hope I don't butcher it, but it's the, the persecution and assassination of Jean-Paul Marat as performed by... Under the mark, uh, wait, the persecution and assassination of Jean-Paul Marat as performed by the, by the Marquis de Sade, or by the Marquis de Sade, by the inmates at the Institute of um, Charenton. And, and it was a, easy for you to say. Yeah, I think I, I think I just, yeah, I know. Right, right. There, yeah. I think I just messed it up because I haven't said it. Like, wait, if I say it fast, maybe I can do it. The, the persecution and assassination of Jean-Paul Marat by the Marquis de Sade as performed by the inmates at the Institute and Asylum of Sharon, uh, at Charenton, something like that. Anyway, the shortened version of it is Marat Saad. And it was done by the Royal Shakespeare Company in the 60s. And we had a cool director there, um, Bob Bittner. I remember he was the director of the show. And I came out and auditioned for it. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't know anything about callbacks or any of that kind of stuff. I wasn't familiar with any of that. But basically what I did is I listened to the record, <laughs> the Royal Shakespeare Company record, and I loved it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what is this? This is so great. You know, I just – and I listened. It was, it was like all speeches and things like that. It was so beautifully written and like the noises and the – you know, there were inmates in this, this – uh, uh, basically 18th century French uh, as- insane asylum, uh, basically. And what it was was a play um, that these inmates were putting on about Charlotte Corday, who assassinated Jean-Paul Marat, who was a, a rep- revolutionary at the time during all this stuff with, you know, uh, when, 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 the, when the French Revolution was happening. And, um, and I loved it. And I came in and I auditioned for it. I got a part. And then they switched me from that, the part I apply, I apply, I applied, listen to me, I auditioned for uh, the role of- You don't have that locked in yet. Yeah, right? What am I thinking, right? I mean, I, I've auditioned people It's like when I tell my daughter, so you go into practice? It's rehearsal, <laughs> dad. Right. Oh, I still like to call it play practice. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to say play practice. And we're putting on a little skit, you know, I think it's fun to be, to be, to deal with it that way. But um, yeah, no, it was, it, I, I, I got a role. I, and the the character that I read for was Jacques Roux, and he was in a straitjacket for the whole show, and he was kind of like a madman that had to be, you know, um, you know, he had to be um, held back and all of that stuff, and chained to the wall and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what 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 kind of how how could young college people not want to play all of these characters who they could invent as whoever? I right. mean, to me, it's like one of the greatest things you can give to a young actor to get in there and dig around. And then they they quickly switched me to uh, not quickly, but I got in there, and another actor that was there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, he. 
he they wanted him to play the role and then i got the role of the narrator <clears throat> excuse me which i really loved i got a big cane and i kind of announced all the scenes and i oh i can still remember some of the lines from it and i don't remember lines from plays but main main reason is because it was in rhyming couplets gotcha yeah so like a song like a you know like 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 moliere or some some shakespeare pieces you know sometimes you get into rhyming couplets with shakespeare as well but um yeah, so that's the that's kind of how I got into it. And did that turn on a light bulb that then yeah. you just yeah. said, this is what I'm going to do? It did. I mean, it was almost in- instantaneous. I had had such a great time, you know, in high school and liked it and it was fun. It was musicals. But then we got into like gritty drama, like stuff you could really sink your teeth into and, you know, doing Chekhov and these playwrights that I was ne- never even, you know, I'd heard of them. But I wasn't aware of how good they were and Shaw, you know, and, and, and you know, um, you know, Tennessee Williams and, you know, Arthur Miller, all these great... Um, writers from the from the modern age uh, in theater and um, yeah I quickly felt like wow this is really what I want to do I want to I want to be a I want to be an actor not just a performer but I want to be a stage actor um, and not so much screen like that I was looking to get into movies or TV were you in a couple movies you're, I made you're some in t- IMDB yeah I've done some balls, stuff Goofballs the 99 yeah. remake yeah Scoffballs <laughs> oh gosh don't remind me I know I know that was a that was a crazy thing we did back in the late 90s I shot it over in Miami um, <laughs> and a couple other things I mean I you know I'd done some extra stuff on soaps and things like that and whatnot and because I lived in the city for years in New York and um but uh, no, but my main thing was I really wanted to work on like great plays. I really loved the plays, you know, and I would even when I moved to New York after graduate school, it was like I, I would leave to go do plays. All kind, I mean, it didn't have to be classics. I liked farces and working on comedies. And How much is it the love of performing and how much is it just the whole camaraderie thing that gets built around a performance? Because I've, I've learned to see that now through Gwen uh-huh. that, you know, by the but from from the first read to closing night, like there's this thing that gets created. It's almost like what, like a mandala or whatever, and you blow it away. You know what I mean? How yeah. much of it is that, and how much of it is just being able to perform? Well, it's it's that's a that's an excellent question, Mike. I, I will say this: it, I'm probably you know other than with my family, and you know that includes my wife and kids, and my siblings, and my extended family. Um, being in a rehearsal room. Um, it, it working as an actor or even a, in any capacity, quite frankly, is like you, I'm never happier than when I'm doing that kind of stuff. I it just feels like you know the 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 idea of collaborating and working as a team. I've always seen it as a team sport, and I've always liked team sports. You know, even as a kid, I played football and baseball a little bit and soccer. Uh, my main sport was wrestling, which is, you know, you could say, is that a team sport? Well, it is because you make, you know, huge sacrifices, you know, moving up and down in weight classes to meet somebody if you got to, you know, if the if the coach needs you to do this or do that. But um, but I love the idea of of working on a team. I still do. I still love collaborating and, and, and doing that. Um, so there is that, you know. It's so different than, you know, and I've done a lot of different things in my life, like jobs to, to make ends meet. You know, living in New York, you got to have another job, you know, unless you're, you know, independently wealthy, you know, and you just have a, you know, you have a trust fund or something like that. But, um, 
Yeah, and, nine and, people in a three-room house does not imply independent. Yeah, health. yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right, exactly, right. We had wealth of a different kind. Yeah. You know, our wealth was in, in different, and, and we did, and I mean that wholeheartedly. You know, again, I wouldn't trade any of it. But um, so there is that sense of you know when you get to work with people, other artists who are like-minded in that they that they have the play, the best interest of the play in mind. That that's what they're trying to do. That they they know they're there for the same reason. They just want to they just want to create a great play. Now, now, the other side of it is, I guess you could say you could, you know, you could go back to, you know, one of the things that the, the, the late, great Lawrence Olivier said, uh, you know, why do you act? And his simple response to that was, if I'm remembering correctly, was look at me, look at me, look at me, you know, that they say that there's probably a bit of that. I mean, I was always yucking it up as a kid and, you know, we would, but we all entertained each other. I mean, it wasn't like I was the premier entertainer in the house. Everyone had skills, you know, like, like you had to, you had to be, you had to have skills and be funny. And we all did that. But, but the big thing I think for me is I love when you have a group of people in one place that you've been able to give them an experience that is either enlightening, uh, profound, uh, escaping, something very something that is so good and specific that even if it's just for a little while, you've you've changed you you've taken them out of themselves, and and that is the power of theater. And, and to be involved in that, I mean, to be so really fortunate um, and blessed to be able to be engaged in that kind of an activity for the short time we spend here on this planet to me is it, I feel so lucky that I get to be involved in that. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily at the other end. It's like the look at me, look at me, look at me. Certainly Olivier probably, I would believe that for him. <laughs> you <Right. know? laughs> and a lot of other of his contemporaries would have said so. But well, anyway. Let's do your second song. <laughs> All right. And then we'll get to where you're not only getting to do that, but having to tell people to do that because that's what you do now. I mean, you're, yeah. you're in charge now, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but let's do your second song first. <clears throat> Which one good. are we doing next? Let's do... Uh, uh, the Hollies tune. Okay. You want to tell a story or what do you want to do? Um, let's play it. This is Greg Longenhagen's second song this week on Three Song Stories. It's He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother by The Hollies, released in 1969. It's funny. <clears throat> you know, I, I, as I said before too, Mike, it's like I it's been so long since I just stopped and listened to a song, you know, just stopped and listened to it. And I've seen some things, you know, we'll watch videos and my daughter and I will watch stuff on YouTube and whatnot, but you're inundated with all that visual. Um, yeah, this, this was a song that, uh, that was big in my household as a kid. My, my father would play it, um, on the organ and I say organ, it wasn't a, you know, I mean, people have like, you know, double layered organs. This was a tiny quarter keyboarded little <laughs> tiny thing that was a, you know, had a, a some type of a air. It, it was a small speaker and it was. Was it plastic or wood? It, it was, it had, it was mostly wood okay. and plastic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the key, the keys were all plastic and the, and some of the top was not. Okay. That paints the picture. <clears throat> yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't like the top. Of it was not wood. It was like uh, like a corrugated wood. You know, it was right. not an expensive instrument, but um, we all played on it, and you know, and it was it was situated, you know, in my ha where the house that I grew up in, 
Um, it was right, you know, as you came out of the kitchen, it was like right there against the wall as you went into the, what was the middle room or the TV room. And that's where it lived most of my, my life. So you kind of had to even like walk around it, which I think in some ways I, I feel is like, that's exactly where you should put things like that because exactly. then, you know, yeah. because then you can't just, you know, then you don't, then you use it, <laughs> you yeah. know, cause it's right there. But <clears throat> my father would play lots of different songs uh, on it. Uh, and this was one of them that he would, he would play on the organ and you, there was no, there was nowhere to sit. You know, you stood <laughs> because if you, if you sat, then you would block the way into the kitchen. <laughs> you, <would> never, <laughs> you know, and nobody would allow that, you know, because people, you would have got pushed off that stool in my household, but you would stand at it and he would play it. And, um, and I fell in love again, you know, I'm, I'm so drawn to great melody and great and and you know songs with hooks and and of course the the harm the three part harmony in here with the the hollies um is amazing where you mix those overarching strings that are weaved in there um it just has that that to me it just speaks immediately when just talking about the music aspect of it and the arrangement of the music and starting out with the harp you know with the harmonica um you know, it's that same thing. I think with Bojangles, there's a, it has a sad, you know, there's a melt, there's a bit of mel, you know, melancholy, uh, you know, minor key stuff that goes on there that kind of, I was always drawn to. I mean, I guess I still am to agree. It doesn't mean I don't like songs that are in major keys because right. you know, I do, you know, I like a lot of like some of, you know, a lot of songs. I mean, I'm thinking of a U2 song that comes, it's like really, really, it's all, it's a, it's a great song, but, um, but yeah, it was it was one that you know why it's so memorable for me is that uh, two reasons really. My father would play other songs and this one, and he would he would kind of grab he would say, "Now listen to this, listen listen to this key, listen to this key change." You know, listen what happens here. You know, and he would he wanted us to know how good it was. He wanted us to know because he knew he knew music theory out the wazoo. He would talk about now listen to this. Okay, now it's going to go to the minor third. Now listen to this. Now feel this. You know, and he he was so into it, and uh, and by you know, and we were too, and and uh, and we would sing the harmonies with him. You know, whoever was there, you know, whoever was passing by or was around, and if one of my other brothers or my sister was there, you know, we would all take a different part. You know, when we get to those crescendos and all that stuff, and then and we knew it was one of my dad's favorite. And then, you know, I can't believe how emotional I am. Jeez. Um, did we played that at my dad's uh, funeral. Um, he's been gone, gosh, I don't even know, eight years now, I think. But um, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a dry eye in the house because we knew, you know, that that was one of his favorite songs. And, uh, you know, I still listen to it sometimes in the car. If I'm, you know, I don't, I, I listen to, you know, I don't have a, I have a CD player and I don't have it in there. But, you know, if it comes on, uh, on the radio, I'll listen to it and it takes me back. Um, when you were putting together music for his funeral, was that the obvious song? Yeah. 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 That and a lot of Beatles songs. He loved the Beatles. He knew that, that they were. That, that what they had done and what they were doing was super special. Like, if he knew music theory, yeah, he knew, yeah, he, he knew what the rest of us could only feel. Yeah, that's a well, <laughs> well said, Mike. Well said. Yeah, I think that's true. He did. He he totally, you know, because and he always said this too, because he was a, you know, he spent his professional life um, working in the banking system, and then he became a, a an agent with New York Life and. 
Uh, you know, that I remember I was in like fifth, sixth grade when, you know, where I grew up, like the industries that all just kind of collapsed in there. I mean, Billy Joe wrote a song about it. You know, they're living here in Allentown. They're closing all the factories down. Well, that happened, <laughs> you know, and then all the other, you know, ants, the other um, industries around it, you know, everything else is like any area, you know, everything kind of folds up shop. And, uh, um, and he, then he, you know, he moved, but, but, but the reason I say that is that he said music, it's math. He said, it's math. He said, you can, you can, you know, and he's right. I mean, it is a mathematical, you know, you can kind of, and he was so good with numbers. Like he was really good. He was almost like a savant with stuff like that. And, um, and, and running numbers and figuring what things would cost and what you would save and what you did and how to make money on stuff. If you had money to make money, how to make money on that money. Um, he was very, very wise to that. He even said that about, you know, since we had Bojangles on before, you know, he said, if you can, if you can play the drums, you can tap dance. He said, if you can do it with your hands, he said, you can do it with your feet. I never forgot him saying that too. But yeah, this song has always been, um, you know, every one of my siblings would know, like if you said, oh yeah, that was one of dad's favorite, if not as one of his favorite songs. Hmm. Um, any other songs that are close second? Um, he loved Whiter Shade of Pale okay. by Procol Harum. And he would play that one on the organ too. And he would do the same thing. He'd be like, now listen to this, listen to this with keychain, but listen to how this resolves. Wait, here it comes, here it comes. You know, it was just like, mm. and they would hit it, you know, and we would all just, you know, cause he, he was such a great guy. It was like, we, you know, nobody felt like, oh, there's dad again on the keyboard. There was never, we didn't really, none of us were that way. We, we were all very supportive of each other. I mean, we, we, we knocked ourselves around a bunch, you know, I mean, you know, as boys, you know what I mean? Yeah, we played yeah. a lot of rough housing in the house and stuff like that, but it was all out of love, you know? Hmm. I mean, there were a couple of times, I guess, where things got out of hand, but you know, for the most part, it was, uh, everybody was very supportive and of everybody. And, uh, yeah, it was, those were, those were fun times. It was good stuff. What is your first memory of Florida Repertory Theater? My first memory of Florida Rep is, is when we were, the very first show, we were doing a farce called Noises Off by Michael Frayn. It was a very popular piece. It was done in a lot of theaters for a while. And it still sometimes gets done. And um, it was a physical farce, very, very physical. And a few days before we were opening, I tore my cartilage in my in my knee doing one of the stunts on the set because I got that I I kind of did a lot of that in my career. I was sort of the funny, silly guy who fell over couches and banged into doors and got <laughs> poked in the eye and stuff like that, you know. So my body is I'm paying for it now <laughs> because I think I have more injuries from the stage than all of my you know playing sports as a kid and all that stuff. But yeah, that was and it was so much fun. I loved it. But see, you you said it before. It's like I really loved the the rehearsal process i never felt this sense of oh man i never got to play it you know i just felt like well i got to rehearse it you know i got to play with the, these wonderful actors and get up to the point and then get this other gentleman that they had to fly in to play the role and i s sat there in the audience to feed him lines if i needed to did you come here to do that or how did you wind up here so i came down um the reason I got to Florida is Bob Cassioppo, who was running the Pirate Playhouse on Sanibel, had seen me in a play outside of Pittsburgh. And um, and I'd gone to New York a couple of times to go to their auditions. They used to do open auditions up on, I remember we were up on the Upper West Side. And um, I'd gone to the audition and and he called me and he said, hey, listen, he goes, I, I, I couldn't, this is Bob Cassioppo, I couldn't cast you 
in this season, but I really like your work and I've seen you perform before. Uh, I was playing at a theater outside in Latrobe called St. Vincent Theater. They're still there. And I had wonderful memories there, just the greatest memories. Home of Arnold Palmer. Home of Arnold. If I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. That's my one data point on Latrobe. Yeah, yeah. And you know who else was from there? Fred Rogers. He was from Latrobe originally. Yeah. In fact, we used to see Fred in the city, not to go on a tangent, because when I I went to school at the University of Pittsburgh for my graduate uh, studies, and Fred Rogers was alive then, and and, uh, he would hold court up in Squirrel Hill at the, oh, what was it called? Bagel Nosh? Bagel Adesh? Bagel Nosh? I think it was Bagel Nosh up there on uh, Forbes Avenue. He would be in there often on Sundays. But... um, yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, uh, that how I came down. It was that uh, Bob had had uh, he had called me and said, "Hey, we had somebody drop out. Can you do it?" I was already engaged in doing a show in New York. I said, "I can't. Oh, bummer. I wish I could." And then the next season, he called me again and said, "Hey, I got a bunch of shows for you if you want to come down." And that's kind of what started it. That was in 1997. I think the first show I did at the here in Florida was um, a comedy of errors. It was by Shakespeare. It was great. I loved working on that. I've done a couple productions of that, and um, that sort of started the bone. And then, and then, and then uh, Bob had and Carrie had left uh, the Pirate Playhouse and and opened the, a Florida Rep downtown the next year. And that's kind so of ninety seven. Ninety seven, ninety eight, and then in ninety eight, I believe is when yeah, ninety eight's when the Florida Rep opened. Um so your bio says you've been a part of sixty four productions. Yeah. Does that mean um a role on stage or involved with including all kinds of stuff. It's, it's including m- like now when you're artistic director, is that part of the sixty four? No. It's probably well <laughs> it's probably well over a hundred. That's it's, what I was Oh wondering. yeah, no, it's more. That's just old material there, old old narrative. So so the so the question is is, you know, like if you go in that building and you're the only one in there yeah. and you walk up and you stand on that stage, what do you think about? There must be a million memories from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you even do that with your, like, do you just, you know, if you try to reflect, does, or do you go to certain times, certain roles, certain moments? It just seems like there must just be a, an infinity of a, a tapestry of memory, you know? <laughs> you know, I love I love even thinking about it, Mike, because it's like that, I'm my, I mean, we're all busy these days, I know, but my schedule is so tight at the theater between doing so many of the things that all theateristians have to do to get up a season and make things happen that very rarely do I walk up on that stage and reflect at this point. But I'm thinking about it now that you've brought it up and now that we're sitting together and we're listening to music, like just sitting and listening to music, stuff I used to love to do. And... um Makes me think, you know what, Liz and I should do more of that. We should just listen to some music sometime. Just find time to do that. But um, yeah, I I guess if I have to reflect on that, it would be, you know, just the the um, the the response because it's really about the audience. I mean, that's why, you know, I, I try to. I, mean, I guess I taught for a little while at FGCU. And I tried to instill this in our in our acting students there when I was there is that, you know, there's a reason why you say you give a performance. You know, you don't take a performance. You give a performance. And I really believe that. And that was kind of instilled in me as a young artist, you know, when I was in, in college um, by my, my coach, teacher and mentor, uh, acting teacher there, Jane Sidoris. Jane, if you're listening, thank you for all of that. <laughs> and... Um, I think it's really about how you, 
I still go back to it. I don't mean to sound like I'm not trying to like elevate myself or, or, or exalt what I'm saying, but it really is about the impact you have on others. It's really about what you give to other people who come in, they pay their price, they sit down, you know, and they take it in. But I do love, I do love being in a theater and just when it's completely quiet and you can, you know, and it's, it's maybe there's not a lot on except maybe the ghost light on stage and especially that theater because it's a, it's a wonderfully acoustically sound space. It's really, it was really, they did it right. I mean, it was originally built, you know, as a live space before it became a movie theater. And of course now it's a live space again, but um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, 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 I'll let you know more about the reflection when I okay. retire. I'm gonna, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I don't know. I don't know that we. Well, hopefully <laughs> next time you walk in there by yourself, you'll remember this moment. I and absolutely take a will. To yourself. I'm going to, Mike. Oh man. Um, so is that how you met Liz? Is through theater and everything? Yeah. Or did you guys yeah. meet up there and then all came? You know, because she was up there too. Yeah, she was in New York. Yeah, yeah. So here's the crazy thing: she was in New York uh, shortly before I was there. We never knew each other in New York City. But here's one of the crazy things: we're sitting here watching. Uh, uh, this is when we first recording started. Uh, we're courting and, and dating, and and we um, we were watching a show. And um, was early on in our relationship, and I said, "Boy, I said that guy on there looks just like my my roommate in New York." Because I was living in New York at the time, I was down here working. And she said, "Really?" She goes, "That looks like a guy I did uh, Best Little Whorehouses in Texas with at the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater." And I said, um, "Really?" And I said, "Yeah." And, you know, and I said, "Well, my roommate's Bill Bardis." She said. Yeah, that's the guy, Bill Bardis. <laughs> I did a show with him like five years ago. So it, crazy things like that happen all the time. But but yeah, um, Liz was there uh, shortly before me. And then she came back too. She stayed in New York, I think for a year um, and subletted an apartment or for some time up there. Um, but we met um, down here. We met on we met on Sanibel. Uh, Liz was involved in some fashion show type thing with uh, Stephanie Davis, and they came to a, a cast party at Bob and Carrie's home when they lived in on Sanibel, and she looked really great. She had on tight white T-shirt and tight jeans and big giant platform like disco shoes, and she had on like Ziggy Stardust sparkly eye stuff. So she, I don't know where they were. They did some funky show somewhere, some fashion thing they did, and she didn't give me the time of day. She could care less. She was like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this actor from New York. Who do I, who's this guy? <laughs> and then, and then Stephanie set us up um, or tried to set us up. I was doing a play at, at um, uh, the Florida rep. Now this is like a year later, two years later, maybe a year later, I guess. And um, I was playing in Sleuth, if you're familiar with that. And the character, one of the characters I was playing in there was this, uh, I had I was all padded up and I had a real buck teeth and a terrible wig on and I looked like you know and I kind of was like wiping my nose on my shirt and stuff like that as the character and Stephanie said that's him that's Greg that's the guy I want you to meet she's like I don't want to meet him I don't want anything to do with him and uh, that's sort of uh, of course it was the character not me but then we uh, we started to date shortly after that and and we have been with each other ever since. And the rest is history. Pretty much. Um, let's do your third song. Cool. Getting to some uh, some uh, little harder music on this one. A little less melancholy. Yeah, yeah, a little less melancholy. What's yep. the story? Um, or do you want to listen? Um, yeah, let's listen. All right. Uh, this is A Safe European Home by The Clash, released in 1978 on their album Give Em Enough Rope. It's Greg Long and Hangin's final song here on Three Song Stories. 
you were air guitaring as if you had um, a real guitar, you might be able to actually do it. Is that a fair <laughs> guess? Yeah, yeah, I can play that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can play all the parts. I mean, they, they're so layered in there. Mick Jones. Your the air guitar guitaring player. seemed pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. No, I know the chords <laughs> for that one. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great song. I mean, I just oh, I loved the Clash. I loved. I loved all their stuff. I mean, I liked, you know, anything they did, really. I mean, even like, you know, when, when they came out with uh, Sandinista, which was their big, I think it was three three vinyl record, or four, three or four vinyl. It was like lots and lots of music. Some of that was even really funky. And people who were loyal Clash fans, some of them were like, oh, what's this? Because it wasn't that hard, edgy kind of British punk sound that you hear it in that song and that track. Some of it was real, you know, it was reggae and kind mm. of off, you know, beat type stuff and more noises. I mean, these guys are definitely playing in the studio on that record. Um, and there's a whole history behind that. I think they didn't even want to release it. I don't know if they were on CBS or Epic then. I can't remember. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, why I picked that song, gosh, Mike, there could have been so many from that era because once, once I became a teenager, I mean, music was like my life. Like I was so into music. Once I got in like 13, 14, 15 all through high school it had really taken over everything for me i mean did the theater i'd stop you know wrestling which i had wrestled for many years and i wasn't you know going out for we didn't really have a soccer team i was too small for football i would have got crushed <laughs> you know that <laughs> but you know i i um yeah i really devoted myself to to music and um wanting to learn more about music and i mean i even took i, I remember in high school i even took a music theory class which i'm so glad i took that class it was my senior year you had to i think you had to have had something else before then but the the music teacher um Mr. Milney I remember he he allowed me to take the class even though I hadn't had a lot of other cuz I wasn't a trained musician you know I did play in the jazz band I played bass in the jazz band for a year um as a but I was playing by you know that was by ear I mean I was looking at charts and things like that but I was just listening you know I didn't I couldn't do that and I always wanted to learn more about that and wished at that point that I had but I'm so glad I took that music theory class because I learned so much about, you know, just just about how things function. And, you know, referring back to what my father said, he was right. It It is math. Mm -hmm. It's math. Um, but this song, the reason why I chose it is, you know, I, I remember fondly uh, in my back bedroom of my house uh, where I where I grew up. At that point, we only had a double bunk bed, which was great. So my brother, I think, I don't know if he was sleeping on the top. I was on the bottom all the time. Um, but if you saw this room, it was like I, I, I like to think back and I think of how we lived on top of each other. But it was uh, I had a little spot on top of one of the bureaus where I had received for Christmas uh, at that time, maybe sixth grade, seventh grade in there, a what we called boom boxes, but this was a little JVC cassette player that had a, an FM AM radio with an antenna that you could put up, a hard antenna, and it had two speakers on it, but it also had two output speakers that you could put, you know, it had uh, little eight eighth inch jacks mm -hmm. in, in on the top of it that you could do external speakers. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't going to drive anything big because it didn't have a huge amplifier, but I found these speakers that were like stereo speakers. They weren't real big, but they were wood, cased in wood and, you know, in the garbage. Mm. 
Hmm. And I hauled him home. Find of the century for a Find, sixth grade. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I went to, to uh, uh, Radio Shack, I think is where, because that was the only place you could buy. And I bought speaker cable and I bought the con- I bought the connections, of to course. To make the little eighth inch To make the eighth inch jack, yeah. yeah. And, I, and my dad had the soldering iron. I knew how to solder. So I, I went and I soldered the, you know, the connect, the, the um, 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 what do you call them? The plugs. And to it, and then of course the other end you put into the speakers. You have to just split them right. You yep. put them in there and the little thing, and it worked. And I remember I had the first because I didn't have vinyl. I didn't like my brother had vinyl. I didn't have a turntable then, but I had cassettes. And I had friends who, you know, could buy records and they would make me tapes. And I would go. We go there. We would make tapes at people's houses. Everybody made mixtapes and stuff. Or we would just go and make and just dub. Yeah, we would just like put the record Bootleg. on. Yeah, we just put it on record. Analog it. Napster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what we did. You know, so like my my buddy John Roberts at the time, he he had a record player and he bought records. And my friend Lou Lou, uh, who, well, he was in our band. He played bass. His his band name was Lou Fabulous, and Lou, uh, he had a great record collection. He he would make me tapes all the time. But the first, I remember like distinctly, um, I had one cassette. It was a TDK, uh, C90, I think it was. And it on one side of it was The Clash's first album, The Clash. And then on the other side of it was uh, Give Them Enough Rope. And I think that this is the first track on Give Them Enough Rope. And I'd heard the music before. My brother actually turned me on. My, old, my brother Mark actually turned me on to that record. But he at that point was already, I think, in college. He was. But I remember distinctly popping that in and playing it for the first time, having like split speakers in my bedroom. And that changed the world for me. Mm. It was great because these speakers sounded better than the JVC speakers yeah, that were yeah. built in. So there was enough – it was pushing enough to them that they'd sound, yep. they didn't sound just like tinny and Exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. It was like like the, the, the God was shining down on me and he gave me this, this high fidelity that I didn't know I was going to have. And, and it was uh, – pretty much free other than other than the the, the connect the cable yeah, yeah. yeah you know all that stuff so uh yeah and i love i love the clash and i love the music from that era i mean that's that's really i think what got me wanting to you know we we i had a garage band like a lot of kids did um we were called the complaints and we played for many years up into like through high school and uh, we've played a couple reunion shows too i've gone back home and we've played those over the years it's been a while i can't remember the last time but um, we played. We were basically a cover band. We had about ten original songs that were kind of real, you know, young kids punk rocky type stuff. Not mean or you know, not like. I mean, they were melodic. We had, you know, I had my brother in the band, and he he can play. I mean, he's a, he's a really good guitar player. Our drummer uh, Gunnar Roth. He was he was good. He was a trained musician. He could play. He was excellent. Hmm. And Lou was great too. And Lou and I wrote the music and, and the, our songs together. But we played everything from. Clashed. Were you a singer? I sang lead, and and Louis sang. Not just a singer, the singer. Yeah, I was the lead singer, the <laughs> rhythm guitar player. So I played rhythm guitar and sang, and Louis played bass, and he sang, and 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 my brother Glenn played. But we all three of us would harmonize. Like we played songs, some of the stuff, some of the stuff from that era. Um, it's not hard. Like it wasn't like the the California punk sound. You know, it wasn't like. Uh, you know, Black Flag or Dead Kennedys. I mean, I, I've seen those acts and we they used to come through. We would see them a lot. I like that music, but that's not what I was drawn to. I was drawn to stuff like The Clash and and, and The Damned and, and The Undertones and 999 and, and, and uh, Sham 69 and, and uh, all these 
British bands that were coming out in the late 70s to me were, you know, the UK subs, great music. I mean, it was, it, but it was melodic too, you know, it was like rock, old rock and roll. Hmm. Um, yeah. And much, much more. And then I, you know, of course was very into a lot of the wave stuff like the cure and, and, you know, um, um, uh, oh gosh, the psychedelic furs, lots of music. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I had lots of you know, the Pogues, I was a big Pogues fan. You need to listen to more music, Greg. You know what? I got to tell you, I, I got to tell you, I I really, I mean, I love a lot of new stuff today too. Like my daughter and I, we listen to stuff in the car when we're together. And she, I was like, do you know this band? She says, oh yeah, I know. Or, or sometimes I'll say, hey, listen to this band. Or she'll take her phone and say, what do you think of these guys? I love doing that. But I have to tell you, sitting here with headphones on. Mm-hmm. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. yeah. Intentionally listening to music. I, 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 I've been transported today, Mike. I got to tell you, I, I can absolutely, I really want to just sit sometime, not watch television. I don't really watch TV, but I watch a lot of, if, if for, to, to turn my brain off at late at night, to, you know, which I, they say, don't look at a screen. That's the last thing you should do. Maybe what I need to do is lock into some headphones and just listen to some music. Yeah. Like like some people do. I don't do it enough either. I know yeah. what you mean. And I get to do it here. And that's what's cool about what we do here is just that we're here. There's an extra layer of intentionality. You know, you're not just listening to music through good headphones, but it's in this moment of reflection, which really yeah. just amplifies it. Totally. Yeah. Ready for a speed round? Sure. Um, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share? Story. Story. Okay. You don't have to tell the story behind it. Um, you did sword fighting and stuff on stage and like taught people to do it. If you had a proper sword and somebody was threatening your life, would you be able to handle it pretty good? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be able to parry and, and, and pretend to strike them with it. I don't know that I could totally kill them with it. I would probably try to run and call 911, but uh, uh, I would be gr- more grateful that I had a sword and, noth- and, and not having a sword. <laughs> Did you or do you, in fact, have a Gary Newman tribute band? This is true, Mike. Uh, <laughs> it is true. We have a Gary Newman tribute band. It's a but, his cover. Yeah. Tribute. Yeah, tribute. Yeah, There's tribute. There's a difference. Oh, yeah. No, we're a tribute band. We, we change it. And one of the things we've prided ourselves on, and the band will, will know what I'm going to say, is we have never worn the same uh, outfits twice. And I say outfits because we always have, we almost always dress the same. Like we'll do whatever, whether in suits or jumpsuits or whatever we have on. Um, uh, a couple of times we've mixed it up where we're all wearing our own things, but that's not very often that we do it. But, uh, yeah, I, I play with, uh, our bass player, um, uh, Jimmy Zerker. He's in, uh, he's up in, uh, Minneapolis now. He hails from uh, Minnesota originally. Um, the lead singer for the band and the rhythm guitar player for the band is, uh, Derek. He is in Derek Walton and, uh, Jimmy Zerker is Jimmy Kosluter. We call, we have, we, we name each other Zerker. Like there's Zerker, like I'm G Zerker, D Zerker, Berserk. They all have like, you know, it's all, it's fun stuff that we, nobody else knows about. But, um, yeah, our bass player, Jimmy, he's in Minneapolis and she's our drummer. He lives in Pittsburgh, PA. Derek lives part-time in Pittsburgh, part-time, uh, in New York city and part-time here too. He's part-time down here in Fort Myers. And, um, we added us a keyboard player. 
uh, Brian, he lives in Boston and he's probably, the, he's the only professional musician who does it for a living. He plays, you know, pit shows and things like that for tours of musicals and things like that. Well, I'm glad my, 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 uh, intelligence was not inaccurate. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you could get us a recording of you guys playing, we'll use it as the parting tune of the podcast. Oh, I could probably do that. Okay. Yeah. I want to see that or at least hear it. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, if you were a championship wrestler, Greg, what music would you use to enter the arena? <laughs> well, it would have to be something that would spook out my opponent and get people all riled up. So uh, let's see. What would be a uh, – oh, man. I, but I would want it to be different. You know, I would want it to be unique. You know, I wouldn't go for like a heavy – necessarily heavy metal um, oh gosh, Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> I don't think I'd play that either because I'd get my butt kicked. I'm sure if I if I pulled that out. But maybe something sort of like ethereal. I know I talked about a band Bebop Deluxe early on, and I was a big fan of their their record Futurama. I might pick something off of Futurama and just like mess with people's heads. What would your wrestler name be? Um, probably. <laughs> Uh, uh, Nick the Flying Squirrel. Okay. Um, if you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times? Oh, wow. Um, wow, that's a really good question. Of course, when I was playing in a band in high school, we, we would go, because that's how you would, you know, there was no internet. You had to listen to it just to get the lyrics, you know, back then. You'd listen to it over and over and over again and play it. Um, but songs that I've listened to over and over again outside of the theater probably because I've had to do that for shows where I've played in shows and things like that or sang in shows. Um, oh, that's a really good question. The one I've listened to more than any. Oh, can I say this? I directed a production in Pittsburgh years ago of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, and I said it in it, – it, the play is set in the, the fictional town of Illyria, which is I guess it was supposed to be like on the Baltic for Shakespeare. But I set the whole thing in Timothy Illyria, so it was the psychedelic <laughs> – I see where we're going there. Yeah, and I, I did all kinds of backmasking and I did stuff on a four track, so I would say that I probably to create that soundtrack because I was the director and I I, I created it um, uh, to, to underscore the show. I probably listened to Revolver Beatles Revolver more than any anything on Revolver. I probably listened to more than any other song. Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time. Wow! For the first time, I would say. Do you know that song that was popular and I can't think of the name of the artist, the female artist, and I don't know that she had too many hits, um, but it struck me. This is one of the other songs that, you know, I, as a kid, I loved it. It just, for some reason, it just like would hang with me if I heard it all day and it's hung with me till now. And it was, um, look what they've done to my song. Look what they've done to Look my what song. They done to my song. Melanie? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's the artist. And that's the one you want to hear again for the first time? Sure. Play it, Richard. Stand by. Now, you mentioned a recent version of this, though, right? 
I don't know that there is. So uh, I think, if I've got this right, uh, she and Miley Cyrus sang this together. <gasps> no way. Uh, in 2015. Um, so that was, you know, that, that, that one we just heard was in 71. Uh-huh. But this is uh, it's a 2015. That's Miley Cyrus on vocals and uh, Melanie on on the guitar. Wow. Never heard this. This is great. Wow. Wasn't she Hannah Montana? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think... You know, I've never seen them in the same room, so... Mm. Uh, um, uh. If you could broadcast a song into the head of all humans in one collective moment, which song would you use? Wow, Mike. Uh, something that would be inspirational and positive, invigorating, and I'm thinking of... It's a U2 song, and every time I hear it, and it's, it's later stuff, it's not early U2, it's from... Um, it was a top 10 hit. Let me see if I can look at it. Can I look it up while sure. we're doing it? Okay. Let me just see if I can pull up. What was around Zuropa? What were some of the song, What were some of the albums around that time? Do we know? So Zuropa was 93. So Zoo TV, live from Sydney. Melon remixes for Propaganda was in 95. The Drop in 97. No, I think it might be on, um, and thank you for looking. Oh, sure. That's what I do. It, it was... Um, it's 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 basically what um, Coldplay had kind of like taken all of that sound, that same wall of sound sound hmm. um, discography, YouTube discography. I'm gonna find it right now. I'm gonna find it right now. Are you thinking of Hello? Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Uh, oh, that's much later. That's uh, that's around the millennium. Uh, Vertigo is the name of that song. Yeah, Vertigo. Yeah, uh, Vertigo is off the O4 album, um, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. I think that's it. Vertigo by U2. Wake was up the world. Wake You're up right. half the world and freak out the other half. <laughs> what would your 14-year-old self think of uh, where you are today, the life you've lived, etc.? Wow. My 14-year-old self... Um, I was pretty at 14 I thought I knew a lot <laughs> about what was going on cuz I felt cool cuz like you know on the weekends I was playing bars and stuff like that with my band you know at that around that age so I loved waltzing in on Monday morning to school knowing that I Saturday night I was you know playing at some dive bar you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> I thought that was like the, and kind of having that little secret with myself but um my 14-year-old self, what was the question again, Mike? I'm well, sorry. What, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are now? Like if your 14-year-old self could look at you right now, yeah. what would your 14-year-old self think? I think my 14-year-old self would say, hey, man, good for you for keeping up the fight, uh, for, um, uh, for staying true to yourself in, in, in knowing what you, your strong points were and how you could uh, – uh, uh, um, continue to do what you love, but also um, provide and be loving to those people that count on you. Good answer. Ready to recommend your three people? Yeah. Do I, it. Okay, so I I wrote them down. So one is my wife, Liz. 
love to have her. She would do great here, and we'd uh, have a lot of laughs. You would. She's fun. She's she's, and we have a lot of similar. You know, even though she's a, she's a few years younger than she I might am. not cry as many times as you did. She might not. She might or she might not. I mean, who knows? It depends on what kind of day she's having. I'm guessing. Um, so that was one. Um, and I wrote them down. One was a, a, a buddy of mine who I think would be a very interesting guest on your show because he's a he's an interesting guy and he's he's does his own um, podcasts and he's a, a wonderful photographer. Takes pictures at Florida Rep and takes pictures all over. He took our wedding pictures when Liz and I got married, and that's Nick Adams. Um, really, a cool. I recognize that name. I may have yeah. talked to him on the radio for you, other reasons. You probably did. He's from something. he's British. He's a he's a he's huh. a yeah, he's from London uh, okay. originally, and his, cool. his he and his son uh, uh, work in that in in media in that field and 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 photography and videography and and whatnot. Um, and his wife's love it was really a wonderful family. Um, and who did I have as the third? I picked Liz. I picked Nick. And there was somebody else that I thought might be. Oh, I think it was John. Was it John? Is it on the paper? I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't put that part that's on a, the script. That's okay. That's okay. I had it because I wrote it down like a week ago. And um, yeah, I can find it because I would have put it on my, hold on, let me just do this. Let me do this. Let me go to, because I have a. Sorry. I'll race you. Really? Okay, cool. Let me go here. I'm going to go to my sent folder to Diane. John Martin. It is John. I would I love for John. You. Oh, you did beat me. <laughs> yes, John's my 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 business partner uh, at Florida Rep. He's he's the executive director. He's been with the theater company um, on staff there since its second season, I believe. Hmm. And um, yeah, I love John, and uh, he's a uh, he's he's a good buddy, and he's a he's a good old North Carolina Tar Heel who who will have. Some interesting songs, I would think. They'll be probably a, from, well, maybe from a different era. I don't know. He's he's a little bit older than you I You never am. know with y- this yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. You get it. You know, I picked songs that were when I was like a little kid, you know, yeah, yeah. From, for two of them anyway. Well, give this to them when it comes out and do your part to get us in touch. I know we can get Liz. Liz, yeah. that'll be easy. I hope. I think um, so. All right. Well, Greg, you've done it. Do you have any final thoughts for us? Um, I just want to say I... I am so I'm so grateful. I never thought I was I didn't think I was going to be as emotional as I was with some of that stuff, but I think like that you've and I imagine this has happened with some of your other guests, but you've given me something today that um I haven't thought about in a long long time. And um I really do want to find the time to put on some headphones and listen to some music. We make three-song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is host and our online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Christophus is our executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to Greg and his Gary Newman tribute band, The Replicas, 
and their rendition of the song Me, I Disconnect From You. Greg says this was recorded about 15 years ago in Pittsburgh, live in a studio, with Derek Waltong on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, Jared DiGiorgi on bass, Ainge Allen on drums and backing vocals, and Greg himself also on backing vocals and on lead guitar. Keep listening. I couldn't recognize my photograph Me, I disconnect from you I was waiting by the stairs Something moved in silence I could feel his mind decaying Only inches away from me Me, I disconnect from you Me and the telephone that never rings If you and me, what would you do? Me, I disconnect from you 